Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 10, 10 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 3rd of August, bro, 2020. This is episode 262 of Bitcoin and what about that pump, bro? Oh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> the And then the pump, of course, clearly it was going to dump. I mean, you know, if you've been in the space for any length of time whatsoever, that should have been expected. And I bought that dip. And uh, thankfully, I ran out of uh, dry... I ran... Well, I didn't run out of dry powder. I ran out of dry powder that I had in my Cash App magazine. So I missed buying last Thursday. What luck. So I refilled and immediately bought the dip. (laughs) I got lucky. Okay, I didn't time that. That was pure luck. And if you're out there trading... That's about the best you can hope for unless you're really, really good and know something a lot of other people don't. So with that said, before I see any more ridiculous bullshit come across uh, my feeds here, I'm just going to start I'm going to start this show. But there's going to be quite a bit of community stuff here at the very first before we get into the news. And the very first one that I want to uh, start with is a picture from Victorian Zulu. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, he uh, v- tweeted out a picture of, I, I can only assume this is in a subway station or so. I mean, clearly it's somewhere public, but I don't know exactly. It just seems like it's inside. Seems like it's a subway station and it's got a picture of a fingerprint with ink on, or the front side of a finger with ink on it showing the fingerprints and in, embedded inside that is a QR code. The panel in the center of this three-panel sign says, your DNA will be your data. And the third panel says, the future is full of opportunity. From HSBC, like the world's seventh largest bank. A bank. Your, your Your DNA will be your data provided to you by a bank. Burn it the fuck down. And with that said, let's get into this one. This quite possibly is one of the coolest things that I've ever heard said, and it is certainly one of the coolest things that I've ever heard Eric Lombroso say. Uh, he tweeted out, and uh, let's see, when was this? Oh, it was like the ver- like the 31st of July. He says, in the end, you are your own final boss. Any fight that doesn't get you closer to fighting, fighting the final boss is either a distraction or a trap. And thinking of yourself as your own final boss, just kind of, I, I read that and reread it and reread it and reread it and reread it. And the, this is true. You are your own final boss. And anything else is a distraction, but I think most likely it's a trap. Just saying. So there's from Eric. 
The, uh, oh yeah, the July 2020 edition of Bitcoin Words is out, bro. Uh, follow at underscore Bitcoin Words. That's all one word. And uh, it's, well, B-I-T-C-O-I-N-W-O-R-D-S. And if you don't know what that is, that's uh, bitcoinwords.github.io will take you to the Bitcoin, Words Bitcoin Journal. And I've reported on, I try to make this announcement every month when they release an edition, but it's a journal of all the stuff that was written the prior month. This one is a 219 minute read and the content list is There Will Be Bitcoin, which is from a piece by Steve Barber. Uh, We have Bitcoin, a global standard of value. We have freedom of money, Bitcoin and the First Amendment. We have masters of slaves, masters and slaves of money. And then we have soft money, soft minds. We got Bitcoin is more like ham radio than the early internet. Accepting scarcity, a Bitcoin meditation. A path to taproot activation. Taproot, why activate? Three reasons I'm investing in Bitcoin. 10 years of Bitcoin market data. The alchemy of hash power part one. Debunking common Bitcoin myths. Bitcoin separating money from state. Bitcoin mining has the potential to save distressed heavy industrial businesses. Yeah, that last one, no shit. <clears throat> Oil and gas is going to need something, although uh, gas got quite the bump, but we'll talk about that in uh, vital statistics. Let's see here. I'm going to continue on with another publication. This one is brand new. Bitcoin underscore zine, the Bitcoin zine. And yeah, that's the Twitter handle, at Bitcoin underscore Z-I-N-E. Uh, They've released their first edition. Uh, Let's see what they say about it. And this is also on GitHub. So it's github.com. And let's see. Oh, come on. It's spinning. There we go. It's the Genesis edition. And this is done by at Dickerson underscore D-E-S, at Amizi, A-M-I-Z-I, and at Satsy, S-A-T-S-I-E underscore. And it says, welcome to the Genesis. And I'll just read the first couple of paragraphs on the uh, introductory letter here. We are pleased to present the Genesis edition of the Bitcoin zine, a lighthearted and playful publication on the spirit of Bitcoin. Over the last few months, we have been busy creating and thinking about the kind of Bitcoin content we would want to read. Uh, earlier this year, um, Amidi started publishing educational Bitcoin materials specifically for highly technical topics. Her work is both visually appealing and easy to digest. Around the same time, Stacy began to experiment with letting some of her favorite quotes and creating art that had long been in her head but never executed on. Desiree, having recently contributed a brilliant, uh, see that the font that they're choosing, it chose is it kind of makes it look like it's handwritten. Uh, a brilliant Beavis and Butthead drawing to a local zine, saw the potential for something unique and proposed the idea of coming together to start a Bitcoin zine. So uh, there should be some new content coming out from the girls over here at the Bitcoin zine. And just scrolling through it, I, I see quite a bit of art. Um, I don't see, I I don't see actually any, um, articles yet, but there's a really nice, uh, uh, sort of like an info infographic about transaction download 
on Bitcoin's P2P network. And it sort of kind of goes through how uh, nodes chat with each other. So give those guys a shot out. Uh, a uh, ugh, Man, Monday. God, Monday sucks. <clears throat> give them a try over there at the Bitcoin zine. And again, that's github.com forward slash the Bitcoin zine. What else do we have? Oh, yeah. There, here's a thread that I, I want to read from, um, oh, who is this guy? Brandon Arvonaghy. I think that's how you pronounce it, Brandon. If I butchered it, my apologies. He's over at Layer 1 Official. So he starts out by saying, we at Layer 1 Official are building a virtual power plant. The technology making this possible, Bitcoin is a battery. Oh, come on. Hey, guys, anybody who just cringed to death, hold on. Just hold on. I don't like the whole Bitcoin is battery thing either, but eh, let's 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 move on. Okay, just drop the cringe. Here's how our Bitcoin batteries work and how they help stabilize electrical grids. Renewable energy sources account for a growing percentage of electricity production each year, but renewables vary in output. Wind and solar don't generate predictably. Relying on renewables means an unpredictable electrical supply. This is a problem. An electrical grid must balance the electricity supply with demand or risk catastrophic failure. When supply is less than demand, two options exist to get back to equilibrium, adding to supply or curtailing demand. Well, well actually, I guess it could be and or both. <clears throat> On the supply side, an obvious way to add to supply is with a traditional electrochemical battery. These batteries charge at periods of grid oversupply and sell the energy back in periods of undersupply. The trillion dollar question, are these batteries viable? Generally, no. Selling electricity back to the grid when it's needed is a form of energy arbitrage. Traditional electrochemical batteries cost hundreds of thousands of dollars per every megawatt hour they store. Energy arbitrage is insufficient to recoup the initial investment in a timely manner. On the supply side, another supply side option is to burn fossil fuels to generate the difference when renewable output is low. This means the more we adopt renewables, the more we rely on fossil fuels to keep the grid balanced. This defeats the, defeats the purpose of using renewables. Uh, instead of focusing on supply, there is a demand response during electricity shortages. Power companies can pay customers that elect to power down. This, again, is energy arbitrage. By powering down, consumers are selling electricity back to the grid. Energy arbitrage alone is not profitable enough to justify creating a demand response business. A viable demand response candidate thus is, or rather has, one, a default business model. Two, draws meaningful power megawatts per hour for that default business model. And three, can power down at a moment's notice. Finding a business fitting all three criteria is rare. AWS, for example, draws meaningful power, but could never power down. He's talking about uh, Amazon cloud services. <clears throat> Retail options like smart fridges and dishwasher would require hundreds of thousands of homes to match the power draw uh, of even one industrial consumer. So enter Bitcoin. Bitcoin mining has no clients and no requirement for uptime. Bitcoin mining's operationally expense or operational expenses come entirely from electricity. The subsidy has a ripple effect on profitability, creating perfect incentive to enroll as a demand response provider. Bitcoin mining provides granularity and demand response that alternatives cannot. Miners 
can be shut down in batches, providing the precise wattage the grid needs. A miner's incentive is to always increase power consumption. The more power drawn, the more hash is computed. Oh, my scroll is messing up here. <clears throat> Mining Bitcoin requires zero additional infrastructure. Its most profitable use case is doing nothing once created. If Bitcoin is money, miners can provide demand response, yielding subsidized power prices. We add miners, draw more power, and the cycle continues. This loop predicated on Bitcoin being money is how we can build a virtual power plant. Our Bitcoin mining containers, batteries, can sell electricity back to the grid enough to power cities instantly and without burning a single non-renewable in effect, at layer one official builds batteries that are viable as a standalone business. Our Bitcoin batteries consume megawatts of electricity ready to be released to the grid at a moment's notice. <clears throat> it's not electricity storage in its traditional sense, but in practice it is. And then he gives a hat tip to uh, Alexander Legal, L-I-E-G-L, and I know I butcher that one. Bitcoin battery, the virtual power plant. Okay, so... It's still not a battery, I, I and I totally get that. I think the use of the term battery is kind of bad here, but it doesn't really matter because it's what the man is saying that's important. Being able to use Bitcoin miners to, ba to load balance grids, we've been talking about this for a while now, but you know it's becoming really evident that this is going to happen, okay? It, it, it's not just a pipe dream. Um, and considering that it is decentralized, then you can balance power in a, like he said, in a very granular way. You just, you set these miners out to where they can suck up, you know, power all across the, uh, well, the Northern, Northern, um, continent of, well, sorry, again, Monday, North America, damn, because Canada and some, you know, and United States have some overlap on grid. Then we have Texas, which is basically completely independent from everything else. And then I think there's something, the California or the Western United States grid, all of these things need load balancing because you can't, it's never, it's not easy. And when electricity first came in, came up, that was a major problem. And that was one of the, one of the things that the detractors uh, like to talk about was how, you know, these things are, the power lines are dangerous and they're going to kill us all because they're always blowing up and catching on fire. Well, we learned how to load balance, but we're still not all that great at it. Although we are, you know, we've become so, you know, good at it that we're not losing that much infrastructure. <clears throat> but I think this kind of thing you're going to see a lot more of and companies like Great American Mining and uh, Steve Barber and a couple of other people. Um, the energy, the energy sector is, is just ripe ripe with opportunities for the application of Bitcoin in so many different ways. It's very, it's, in my opinion, it's very, very exciting. Jack Mallers making it twice in today's community news. He says, I've been watching Kaiser report since I was a teenager, always humbling and fun to be on the show and hang out with Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert. We talk about LN Strike, our Visa partnership, Bitcoin derivatives, and more. What I'm saying here is that Jack Mallers was interviewed by Max Kaiser. So if you haven't seen that one, uh, just Google Jack Mallers on, on Max Kaiser. Look for the most recent one. This one, Jack released, uh, he tweeted this what? This would have been on July the, f uh, the 30th. 
So yeah, you know what to do with Google. If you don't know how to use Google, learn. All right, now we got uh, this one from Strike or from LN Strike itself. That's why Jack Mallers is in here twice. He says, <clears throat> or not he, Strike says on July the 31st, 2020, we are currently experiencing a significant amount of volume on the app and are doing our best to open channels as fast as we can. We apologize for any inconvenience you may be experiencing. As always, if you have comments, questions, or concerns, just email support at strike.me. That's support at strike.me. So if you are having a problem, that's what was going on. I don't know if it's been alleviated yet or not, but one of the things that I'd like to see here is, um, or one of the things that I want to say about this is in the responses, there's a lot of people offering to open up channels with LN Strike. So the community itself is coming together to load balance, to steal from what we were just talking about, the other side of the equation for LN Strike and seeing that many people offering to do that many different things uh, is, uh, well, comforting. Kind of gives you the whole warm and, and, and fuzzy. And I like with this one what, uh, um, what, the random one 18 said he, he responded with kind of like Coinbase. Well, except you are public beta and less than one month old and Coinbase is over eight years old. Actually, not like Coinbase at all. Yeah, delete Coinbase. Those guys haven't been able to get their shit together in forever. And here we got, a, you know, a kid who's probably smarter than the entire bag of executive shit that's at the top of Coinbase. I'm going with Jack Mallers. Oh, Andreas Antonopoulos has been having a little bit of a little bit of an issue. He tweeted out this. I'm being asked to make a paid announcement in favor of something called Index Chain or IDX. I announced that they are they are the kind to try to buy paid announcement. That that announcement was free of charge. And then he goes on to say uh, in, a, in a response to his own tweet, he says, now I'm being threatened by at index underscore chain in my DMs. They're threatening to hack my email and send spoofs as me. Also threatening to campaign against my books and products. So, you know, going up against shit coiners are, it can be dangerous. You know, it's not, it's not something that you take on lightly because some of these people just, they're just real scammers. They don't give a shit about you. They will never give a shit about you. This is why I Bitcoin and I don't ever set myself up, except possibly in the case of Doge, to really talk about any other, any other coin. I just like Doge because, dude, Doge is cute. Now, uh, getting into the Novak stuff. And this is a, yeah, this is, this is uh, not as long as I thought, but uh, he's got a pro there's there's an issue okay so be aware if you've got be aware if you're going to buy a cold card all right he says one and this was on july the 30th i really regret choosing gpl v3 for cold card now we've got a clone if it ships with zero contributions in code or financially clone is what you call when call it when someone takes the hard stuff and just changes the ui our fault for choosing GPL. We will be changing a lot of that in future updates. We always encourage people to fork, alter, have fun with the device, and use the libraries for their projects, etc. We ourselves use external libraries as uh, also. 
but the bulk of the hard stuff is made by us. On top of the moral issues I have by cloning, there is a massive security problem. Cloners clone because they don't know how to do the hard stuff. The hard stuff is the security. So when they alter it to fit their hardware, they will have gaping security holes. There is a monumental amount of security research we do that is not on the public repo. Imagine not being part of that and still building stuff and thinking it is secure. Is it naive or reckless? Saying your security model is just like cold card doesn't make it so. Every bit of hardware wallet could be attacked, including the just the UI changes. See what happened with KeepKey? They cloned and had way more security holes than Trezor. <laughs> so what he's saying here is that somebody's got a clone of the cold card. And is sell I don't know if they're selling it under the brand name cold card or if they're just calling it something else. But if you are interested in getting a hold of a hardware wallet uh, from Rodolfo Novak, or otherwise known as at NVK on Twitter, uh, from CoinKite, his company, then make, make sure that you're getting it from CoinKite. All right? And go do the hard stuff to make sure that, you know, it's going to be secure. You, you're not using your home address. Uh, Rodolfo has gone out of his way to make ordering and, and physical delivery of this unit. Um, not, it's not seamless. I mean, it, it, it's not without, it's not that it's not without its perils. It's not without its hard work, but it's going to be worth it in the end. Okay. So uh, just be aware that there's a knockoff cold card that's being circulated. Don't be fooled. Make sure that you buy it through CoinKite. All right, Peter Van Valkenburg has a series, let's see, a series of tweets here. It says, today we're submitting a comment in the OCC's ANPR on the National Bank and Federal Savings Association digital activities. In a nutshell, we say that banks should hold multi-sig, sign, run, nodes, and deal in privacy encrypted, uh, enhanced crypto. Uh, crypto. Before I continue on with that, the OCC just recently announced that it was okay for uh, United States uh, banking institutions to custody Bitcoin. Okay, the OCC is the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. Kind of a big deal when they say, you know what? It's, yeah, if you want to custody Bitcoin for your customers, that's fine. And yet another legitimacy nail in the coffin. So let's see what uh, Valkenberg, Peter Van Valkenburg is talking about. He says, many of you read about the OCC interpretive letter from July 22nd that said that nationally chartered banks can hold crypto for customers. This ANPR comment process is related and somewhat more official, uh, more official way for the OCC to develop guidance on bank crypto activities we are big fans of the decision that banks can hold crypto. Uh, that means more competition, more opportunities for regulated parties to have appropriate custodians, more uh, normalization of important technology. We argue to OCC that holding crypto is just the beginning. National banks should be able to hodl, multi-sig, run nodes, run lightning nodes, mix public crypto to provide privacy, Deal in private crypto like Zcash and Monero. Ugh. Issue a self-sovereign ID on public chains. Uh, let's see. Those last two are my favorites. We argue that banks should not only be able to use trustless mixing tech technology or privacy-enhanced crypto, 
but that they may be obligated to do so in order to protect the privacy of their customers. Well, they don't do that shit now, Peter. So, And the last one here is, and we would love to see nationally chartered banks pushing the ball forward on self-sovereign ID using tools that can anchor identity data to public chains, a la Microsoft's important work here. And he's talking about uh, that Microsoft announcement. Let's see, what is it? Let's see. Yeah, it's just that that Microsoft.com uh, that thing where they're talk they're building an identity thing. So, I I I I like that this is coming out. I like what Peter's saying here, um, and I'm not all about like the complete and utter destruction of of all banks. But I'm not you know I'm not all that excited about them getting into this. It's hard. It would be hard for them to figure out ways to screw it up. Uh, but if anybody can screw anything up at all, even if it's at the level of an annoyance for us that actually hold our own keys, they'll be able to do it. So just keep in mind. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's going to do it for community news. And I've got, I think I got one in the bag before, uh, news story in the bag here before we cut out to, uh, um, vital statistics. Let's see what we got here. This is going to be from the Daily Hodel. Oh yeah, this one. I'm just going to start with this one. <laughs> Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel sometime this morning. New crypto DeFi asset surges 409% in just four days. Here's the scoop on tendies. I know. I know you want to shoot me for reading this, but you. I mean, if you just... I. If you did what I did and just rolled your eyes when you heard about this shit, um, then we're kind of missing out on understanding probably just how dangerous this shit is. So let's at least let's at least spend some time on a narrative. <clears throat> a low cap DeFi cryptocurrency is the latest to shake up the cryptoverse after surging four hundred nine percent in just a few days. Tendies, a new cryptocurrency that bills itself as the next generation autonomous and hyperinflationary coin is attracting attention after jumping from 18 cents on July the 30th to a high of almost a dollar on Sunday. According to CoinGecko, the asset now stands at 70 cents at time of publishing. The coin is also gaining significant volume on the Uniswap protocol as its 24 hour trading volume soars to more than $4.5 million surpassing stablecoin powerhouse tether and decentralized Oracle network Chainlink. Tendies relies on a deflationary model and user loyalty to try to establish value. Its tongue-in-cheek name is a reference to a meme about chicken tenders that began on 4chan back in 2014. Meet the new Doge, apparently. Of the nearly 9 million tend, T-E-N-D, stored in the Uniswap liquidity pool, 4% are drained on a daily basis, According to the attendees website, any user can start the draining process. The user who makes the call gets 1% of the drain tokens. The remaining drain tend are sent to two addresses. One address burns 51% of the drain tokens. The second address receives 48% of the drain tokens, which would be distributed to the top five tend holders every three days. The process is designed to incentivize investors to hold more tend in order to qualify for bonuses. Hurts. The anonymous developers of the cryptocurrency themselves say Tendies is nothing more than a social experiment and warn it comes with considerable risk. 
Yeah, in this space, it's not enough to warn people that your shitcoin is considerable risk. Your assumption is they will never hear you say that. They will only see this, you know, rise in its price and they will, well, they're going to get burned. So I don't give a rat's ass what your intentions are here. You're going to get people hurt. They're going to lose their money. Some idiot somewhere is already figuring out a way to do futures contracts, I'm sure, which means that you won't even get to hold the tens. You'll just be able to bet on whether or not the price goes up or down. And that's where most people are going to lose their freaking money. It's, this is unconscionable. Okay. Tendies, really? And then they call it, they call it here. It's like the next generation autonomous and hyper inflationary coin. And yet they're talking about deflation. So this is either a huge fail on the part of the daily hodl or a huge fail by the way that they're presenting this. This is, it's all bullshit. So, you know, warn your buddies. Tendies is, well, Tendies is trending and that's dangerous. Let's get in and do some numbers. CNBC.com forward slash markets. Meh. Not as meh as last week, but still, eh, everybody's waiting on something, I guess. S&P 500 is up almost a point. NASDAQ is up a point and a quarter. Uh, Dow Jones is up a point. FTSE's up two and a quarter points, as is the Nikkei. Hang Seng's down a half. Shanghai is up one and three quarters. VIX is up a bit. And, uh, um, sorry, that was, that was it. Let's see what uh, bonds are doing. There's some significant uh, bond yield changes. Uh, the U.S. 10-year is up oh, 0.023%. The 30-year is up 0.04%. And then everything else is definitely meh. Uh, Bund, it still is going to cost you half a percent to own that steaming pile. Oil's having a run, $41.16 for a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. That is a two and a quarter percent change to the upside. Now, natural gas is the story. I don't know what the hell happened here, but natural gas is selling for $2.09 for per MCF, and that is a 16.2% change to the upside. So I, I did a natural gas oil or natural gas field just like explode or something and like we've cut our <laughs> our supply. I I don't know, man, because that's, you know, 16% is nothing to sneeze at. But again, uh it's up at $2 per MCF. Gold touching 20 or 2000 last night apparently. It is currently at 1988. That is a 0.14% change to the upside. And yeah, that's going to do it. So let's talk about real money. Bitcoin at 11,376 and this is yes, post post pump and then dump number. Again, that number 11,376. I have a high over at bit asset $11,381. My low is going to be over at hit BTC at 11,354. <clears throat> Only 290,000 transactions were performed over the last 24 hours. That's about 12,000 transactions per hour. 
and sub 1 million BTC were sent in that period. That gives us an average of BTC sent per hour of 40,000 with an average transaction value of 3.3 and a median transaction value of 0 0.04, which is about 450 bucks. Block time's low, nine minutes, 32 seconds. We have 0.73 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 108 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. A 3.5% bump to the upside on hash rate brings us to just under 120 exahashes per second. It was just still pretty huge. And the last time anybody did anything for the Bitcoin code or anything else for that matter for, for the uh, GitHub core repository was sometime yesterday. Ethereum, almost 400, $396.36. Bcash, 294. BSV at 224, Litecoin at $59, Ethereum Classic at $7.31. We'll hear more about Ethereum Classic later. Dogecoin got a bump, 0.0034, and at 47, almost 50,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. It's knocking the snot out of Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and of course, Bcash, who only has. 17,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, and that's because nobody uses it. Clark Moody, that's bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash bitcoin. Let's talk about what he sees in the mempool he's looking at. 25,000 transactions are waiting to clear, and that will take roughly 47 blocks. Lightning capacity is 971.6 BTC. That's $11 million in liquidity spread across 7,341 nodes, representing 36,499 channels. Tor capacity is up a bit, 435.6 BTC, and that puts the percentage of the Tor capacity of Lightning Network at 44.8. If I remember correctly, it was 44.7 on Friday. There are 2,144 nodes on the Tor network for Lightning, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to the Morning Roundup Part 2, also known as the snooze you can use. Bitcoin-enabled MMO Infinite Fleet launches funding drive. That's right. Andrew Hayward is writing this one for Decrypt.co. Uh, this was July the 31st. So, uh, non-U.S. residents can join an equity investment round with the likes of Litecoin creator Charlie Lee and Blockstream CEO Adam Back. Want to count yourself along Litecoin creator Charlie Lee, Blockstream CEO Adam Back, Heisenberg Capital founder and CIO Max Kaiser, and Heisenberg CEO Stacey uh, Herbert as equity investors in an upcoming blockchain-based video games? <gasps> Now's your chance. Man, that was a mouthful. Yesterday, developer Pixelmatic announced the launch of a funding campaign for Infinite Fleet, an outer space PC strategy game that is currently in development. The campaign, which is currently live on, <coughs> excuse me, crowd investment platform Bank to the Future, <coughs> excuse me, will let prospective investors in on a funding round that includes the aforementioned crypto luminaries. The funding drive, which is only available to investors outside the United States, of course, had a goal of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. 
It has already been successfully funded with 250,513 contributed by 53 investors as of this writing. The campaign's listed to close tomorrow. Infinite Fleet is an ambitious, massively multiplayer real-time strategy game with anime-inspired visuals and narrative cinematics. According to its pitch deck, the game lets you command a fleet of next-generation spaceships to defeat a merciless alien threat. Why are aliens always bad? Oh, whatever. Gameplay details are scant. <clears throat> yeah, they are, although I've seen some pictures. And the art, if that's what's going to be in the final game, looks pretty good, but... Ah, game development's a bitch. What the team makes clear, however, is that the game is infused with crypto assets. Its INF token will be handed out by Pixelmatic for playing the game and participating in events, and it can be transferred into and out of the game and used within Infinite Fleet's peer-to-peer marketplace. There will be a limited amount of the token made to ensure scarcity. INF operates on the Bitcoin blockchain via the Liquid Network, a secondary layer sidechain to allow for rapid micropayments. Pixel Match held a streaming YouTube AMA yesterday. Oh, uh, a Pixel Match. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, following the launch of the campaign featuring Lee, Kaiser, Herbert, Bank to the Future CEO Simon Dixon, and Pixelmatic. That's it. Pixelmatic CEO and Blockstream CSO Samson Mao to answer questions about Infinite Fleet and share why they got involved with the project. Quote, a lot of people ask, is Bitcoin applicable to gaming? Simon, we've had this conversation a couple of times and we've talked about gaming and Bitcoin and there seems to be some ambivalence about it, said Kaiser. Quote, but in my view, it just seems like a natural fit and it's such a huge market and it's only going to grow bigger and bigger. So if they can get any piece of this market at all, it's going to be a huge play in my opinion. End quote. According to the project roadmap, Infinite Fleet is slated for release the first quarter of 2022. Oh, Lord have mercy. So $250,000 to, you know, to do this and this, I guess this is going to kick off the, uh, yeah, this, that was the campaign and it's already closing because they've already hit their goal. Uh, I, before I even knew about Bitcoin, I got in, or I, I think I, uh, I helped crowdfund a game and I cannot remember the dude's name, but he's made, he's a, a hell of a game, uh, game maker. And he's been working on this game for, I want to say, like five, over five years, probably more like eight billions of dollars. That's what he got crowdfunding. The crowd, because the his crowdfunding never ends. It never, ever ends. It's amazing. Yeah, I had to look it up for you guys. The game that I'm talking about is Star Citizen. We're talking billions of dollars over the years have been dumped into this game. And I don't even, I haven't even seen like whether or not they have fully released this game or if it's in this continuous state of beta. And that's the shit that pisses me off about Chris Roberts. I'm not going to get too high on my high horse here, but I mean, come on, man. I mean, the guy keeps dropping like little, like, oh, well, you can do these these two things, you know, like this, like this itty bitty part of this, what is supposedly an infinite galaxy, right? Uh, for a star citizen, but almost everything's broke. You, I mean, you cannot, it's almost impossible to get enough graphics power to run this damn thing with any credibility whatsoever without burning a hole in your bank account. 
It's billions of dollars in development. It's It's been years in development, and I don't have any idea whether or not it's been released in full because I sure as shit haven't heard a whole lot about it lately. I just hope that it doesn't, that this infinite fleet thing doesn't end up like that, where it's just this constant, never ending development and no release. Or if there is any kind of release, it's a, it's like breadcrumbs or something like that. Because the problem with, or the, the issue with uh, Star, uh, Star Citizen is that it's made by Chris Roberts. And if you don't know who he is, he's good. Or he was. He used to work for Origin Systems. That was Richard Garriott's outfit out in Austin a long time ago. And he's the guy that brought us Wing Commander, that entire franchise, which ended up being a movie, which wasn't good, but I'll still watch it just because it's, I don't know, it's fun for me. In either event, don't let the, don't let unending game development happen to you, Infinite Fleet. And not excited about INF token, but there it is. At least we're getting something, you know, to come into games. And and that also, uh, I will finish on saying something about what Max Kaiser was asking. Let's see, where, where did he ask this? Is Bitcoin applicable to gaming? <clears throat> um, that's what he asked. Yes, of course it's applicable to gaming, but we got to ask ourselves, why isn't the gaming world jumping all over it? There's no incentive. Not yet. There will be, but they're still operating under a model of our token means we're going to be able to capture more money. There's no way for these guys to envision using something other than their own token to fund and power their own marketplaces because they're the ones that are reaping the benefits in a Bitcoin world all you're doing is laying pipe from the out, you know, from outside the world into inside your world and then right back out again. And I, they just don't seem to know how to capture any of the value from that flow. And so that's one reason. And the other reason, I guarantee you they, they got real reservations about being considered a money transmission business. And that's why <clears throat> electronic arts is probably not in any time in the future going to be putting what dropping lightning nodes in games out of their game development studio. Just going to say it right there. Pet rock news is brought to you by Turner, Wright Out of coin telegraph sometime yesterday, Goldman Sachs says that gold will hit $2,300 by 2022. What about Bitcoin? A depreciating U.S. dollar is a reserve currency coupled with investors looking for attractive alternatives could see both BTC and gold rise. Why not? Major investment banking company Goldman Sachs says that the price will rise 20% to reach 2300 by the end of 2022. The commodity hit new record highs on July the 31st at more than $2,000 per ounce, but Goldman believes it still has a long way to go. According to a report cited by Bloomberg, the bank believes the price of gold will surge to $2,300 in the next 12 months, a revised forecast that originally predicted $2,000 due to concerns over the United States dollar's standing. Analysts at Goldman Sachs stated on July the 28th that a, quote, record level of debt accumulation, end quote, from the United States government and real concerns around the longevity of the United States dollar as a reserve currency has affected the price of the commodity. Gold is currently priced at $1,900 or, well, $1,975 per ounce. Goldman said the measures taken by the United States government to lessen the economic impact caused by the pandemic 
for example, stimulus payments, could easily lead to a rise in debt through currency debasement. The bank stated that such conditions would boost prices in gold and silver. However, many other alternatives to fiat currency would look more attractive to investors in the United States as the U.S. dollar slowly loses its value as a reserve currency. Cointelegraph reported on July the 30th that Bitcoin could be a better hedge against inflation than gold since March. The cryptocurrency has had a stronger negative correlation with the dollar than gold. <clears throat> so, pet rock. No, I don't hate gold that much. I really don't. Um, I've said it on this show several times that I'm not a gold hater. I just don't understand Peter Schiff and his constant, constant lambasting of Bitcoin. There's a lot of stuff that I don't like. And I don't talk about it because I don't like it so much that I, I don't want to talk about it. It makes me wonder about Peter Schiff. It just, I wonder, is it, is it possible that he's kind of trying to suppress the price by being a bigwig in the gold world and saying it all the while he's accumulating it on the other end? Well, only time will tell about that one. But dude, yeah. And I have no problem with gold going up or silver. I mean, we, we got to get out of this. I mean, somehow, some way, you got to find some way to preserve any kind of wealth. And I, my personal choice is Bitcoin because <clears throat> I cannot send a bar of gold or even an ounce or even a quarter of an ounce of gold and have it settled in China in 10 minutes. I can't do that. I mean, I can mail it. If it's not stolen in the mail, then it would take, you know, weeks to settle. It's just, it's, it's insane. And for those games saying, well, you just make a transfer with the bank and you give them the gold. And no, because at that point it's a trusted third party. That's not the point. That's how we're getting into this mess in the first place. You just stop allowing these people to do this shit because if I give them a piece of gold, they'll immediately figure out a way to develop an instrument to lose it on the other end. And it's gone. No, you hold your own. And by doing that, we get into the real problem with gold. It's heavy. It's pretty. Yes, it's useful. But man, it's heavy. That causes problems. Bitcoin is very lightweight in comparison, as you know. Alleged Twitter hackers bail set. But will he pay with Bitcoin? This is Alexander Behrens out of uh, Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. The 17-year-old alleged mastermind behind July's Twitter hack holds more than $3 million worth of Bitcoin that he could use to pay his recently set bail. <clears throat> the teen responsible for the July hack against Twitter will need to pay a pretty penny if he wants to wait at home for his trial, but his holdings of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin should help take care of that. Per the Tampa Bay Times, bail was set at $725,000 in a Florida courtroom for Graham Ivan Clark yesterday, a 17-year-old alleged to have masterminded the Twitter hack that impacted high-profile accounts like Elon Musk, Floyd Mayweather, and Joe Biden. And sorry about that glitch. That was a, a little weird for me. Um, I accidentally hit the pause, so I'll just read this last thing again. Uh, alleged to have masterminded the Twitter hack that impacted high-profile accounts like Elon Musk, Floyd Mayweather, Joe Biden, and dozens more. So Clark's attorney disclosed during the hearing that Clark controls at least 300 Bitcoin. Oh man, why did you do that? 
Worth about $3.3 million, it's the latest twist in the bizarre tale of one of Twitter's most worrisome security compromises, a scheme seemingly closely tied to transacting in Bitcoin at every turn. While the investigation is ongoing, it's now known that Clark gained access to Twitter's God Mode back-end interface by manipulating employees of the social media company, gaining unauthorized access to the company's Slack messaging system, and defeating at least one two-factor authentication barrier. Clark initially used the access to sell accounts created in the early days of Twitter before moving on to the Bitcoin scam, where dozens of high-profile accounts tweeted messages requesting donations to a fake coronavirus-related cryptocurrency charity or offering to send back double the value of Bitcoin sent to a scam address. During the bail hearing, prosecutors argued that at least 300 Bitcoin held by Clark should not be eligible for use in making bail payments, stipulating that every penny that this defendant has access to is by ill-gotten gains. I wonder if they can prove that. The defense argued the Bitcoin should be allowed for use, pointing to a law enforcement investigation last year that initially seized but later returned the Bitcoin in question to Clark while filing no charges against him. Clark may well have the capability to post bail, but he will be restricted in other ways. The George ordered that if he does, Clark will be required to wear an electronic monitor and remain confined at home, except to visit the doctor or his attorney. Clark must also surrender his passport and is barred from accessing the internet on any device until after his trial. The investigation into the hacking event is still ongoing, but it seems increasingly clear that the public nature of all Bitcoin transactions may have played a part in Clark's relatively quick apprehension. It's an ironic twist that what may have been a legitimate everyday purchases of Bitcoin years ago may save Clark from the inside of a jail cell at least for a few more months. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on it. Ah, uh, this is just, okay, there's like failing all over. This is just a, an episode in fail. All right, he, he got caught because he screwed up, and you can go listen to other podcasts about how he screwed that shit up. But to disclose your Bitcoin holdings, why? why? That's what I don't understand. It was that Clark's attorney told the court that he controls at least 300 Bitcoin. Why didn't Clark tell his attorney to STFU about the Bitcoin? They didn't need to know that, but now they know that. Now he doesn't have his passport and he's on an ankle monitor. If, if that's if he gets out, if he, can, if he can make bail. So the whole notion, the whole notion of being able to memorize a seed phrase in your head and walk across a border is predicated upon being able to make that walk, okay? We can say that all day long about Bitcoin. We can. It's like you can just take your wealth and walk across a border, and this is true, if you can walk across that border. And he screwed, this kid screwed himself up because now he can't make that walk. He's going to be confined to his house, and even if he did, even if he was able to, I mean, he is in Florida, so it's not hard for him to get a hold of a very fast boat. Coast Guard's just going to run his ass down before he can get to a Central American or any of the islands, a Central American company, country or any of the islands or whatever. The Coast Guard's going to be able to track him. I, I almost guarantee you that those ankle, ankle bracelets are, are trackable by satellite. I, I'm just saying, you know... Stop. I mean, if you had 300 Bitcoin, 
then why, then why try to hack Twitter and play with your future like this? I don't understand that. Sit on your ass, go get a job, or I don't know. It just, I, I'm having real difficulty with a 17-year-old taking his entire life that would have been awesome if he had just been patient and flushing it completely down the toilet. I, I don't get it. And I also don't get Coinbase continuously opening their yap when they should really shut up. Decrypt staff is writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Coinbase struggles to keep up with Ethereum flash crash. Ethereum, Ethereum Classic and several ERC-20 tokens now suffer from degraded performance. Who would have guessed? Crypto exchange Coinbase has struggled to keep up with Ethereum's flash crash as Ethereum's price briefly hit levels unseen since August 2018 and associated ERC-20 tokens spiked in price. Coinbase's servers hit some snags, as they always do. Both Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, as well as all ERC-20 tokens, including those of DeFi protocols, Compound, Maker, and Chainlink, now suffered from or now suffer from degraded performance coinbase wrote on its website the issue as reported in a coinbase incident report concerns delays with or delayed withdrawals and deposits the problems hit eth and erc20 tokens first at 5 point or 5:52 a.m. utc on sunday just after the flash crash during which the price of ETH fell from its peak of $411 to $370 within five minutes. Then, at 10.50 a.m., Coinbase recognized an issue with delayed Ethereum Classic deposits. For whatever reason, Coinbase's servers couldn't handle it. Hmm. It could be the case that lots of people tried to sell off their ETH to prevent further loss. At the time of the crash, daily trading volume on Coinbase rose from $822 million to $1.1 billion within half an hour, according to metric site CoinGecko. Another reason could be that traders were busy converting their money into other more stable currencies. Coinbase resolved the Ethereum Classic issue within a couple of hours, but the site still lists the coin as suffering from degraded performance. As for ETH and its ERC-20 brethren, the message posted seven hours ago still remains, quote, the issue has been identified and a fix is being implemented. Honestly, again, you know, bringing Jack Mallers back into this, he's having problems on a beta that was released last month. Coinbase is eight years in and they can't handle flash crashes. And they can't handle the fact that people are freaking out about Ethereum Classic for news that you'll hear a little bit later. Uh, why, I, don't under, I don't get it again. Why, to you, why use Coinbase when there's just, there's so many other options out there that do not suffer from this kind of crap. But so Coinbase fails again. Uh, who, who possibly could have guessed that one? And the last one up in the deck here is Bitcoin beats Coca-Cola. BTC's market cap is now higher than everyone's favorite pop drink. This is written by Adrian Barkley sometime this morning. This is for CryptoDaily.co.uk. Over the past few weeks, the leading cryptocurrency has seen some very bullish behavior. During this bullish activity, the market capitalization for Bitcoin has surpassed that of Coca-Cola and Intel. These are some of the biggest companies in the world, with Coca-Cola being a household name for decades now. 
At the end of this last month, there was a serious round of bullish activity on the market for Bitcoin, which saw it significantly increase, flying past the $200 billion threshold. With this in mind, the leading cryptocurrency is currently worth more than shares of major global companies such as the aforementioned Coca-Cola and Intel. Ever since March, the markets for Coca-Cola have been trailing below $200 billion. This is mainly due to the coronavirus and the uncertainty brought about from it. For Intel, one of the biggest global tech companies in the world, saw a noticeable decline over the last week as they posted a disappointing third quarter earnings guidance on the 22nd of July. But when it comes to Bitcoin, things are looking up. There have been many bullish moves this year up more than $80 billion since the 1st of January. Who knows what the future will hold? It will be interesting to see how the situation plays out. For more news, go to Crypto Daily. Yeah, sure. Sure thing. Yeah, so <laughs> do a line of Coke, buy some Bitcoin. Actually, don't do the first one. Eh, doing drugs will screw your head up. So yeah, just buy some Bitcoin and be happy. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Bitfly, also known as at etherchain underscore dot or underscore org, who says, and this was August the 1st at 4.15 a.m. Today, the ETC chain experienced a chain reorganization of 3,693 blocks at block 10904146. This caused all state prune nodes to stop sinking. It is likely caused by a 51% attack, and all exchanges are advised to halt deposits and withdrawals of media and investigate all recent transactions. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is Ether Classic. It's not Ethereum uh, proper, if that's actually something. Um, but yeah, somebody mounted a 51% attack, it seems. We'll probably learn more about exactly what happened uh, as they unfold this. But this may have had something to do with what was going on with uh, Coinbase and people freaking out and didn't, you know, maybe they thought all, everything from Ethereum was just going down. And so, yeah, Coinbase just, they just jammed up, which sucks. Because if you were also, you know, trading some uh, Bitcoin or whatever, if you do that type of thing, you were probably slowed down on your trades as well. So, I don't know, man. Just don't use Coinbase. But there's your smoldering pile. We have a change in the lineup of uh, Terrible Joke Corner. This one's actually brought to you by... American Hodel, at Hodel underscore American. And he says, the greatest compliment I ever got was when my grandfather told me I would have been an ace World War II pilot back when it was all guts and glory. Followed by the biggest insult when I asked, well, what about now, Grandpa? He said, well, nowadays you got to be smart to fly planes. And the funniest part about this, according to American Hodel, is that this is a true story. This was the actual uh, exchange between him and his grandpa. And when you think about it, this joke is pretty meta dad joke because his, his dad's dad was telling a dad joke to American Hodel. 
Good shot, bro. Good shot. Okay, so I have chicken news. We have one chicken uh, that if you've been listening to this program for any length of time uh, lately, um, has been crowing and it's been getting worse. And yesterday I had to arm myself with a water rifle. And for two and a half hours, I was like going, well, I wonder if I can train the chicken to shut, shut up and stop crowing because she'll crow in the middle of the damn day. And we were on the fence as to whether or not, well, is it really a she uh, that's just kind of reverted? Uh, that can happen. It's kind of odd, but it's, you know, or, or more likely uh, one of the female birds that we have just decided that somebody had to act like a rooster because it's important for them to have that, I guess. I don't know. In either event, I did something yesterday. And, and no, the water rifle uh, just basically pissed her off. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be cruel to the bird and do this every single time because she's clearly not learning. So I put her, I, I had the chance to put her up in the coop during the day so that I could at least close her in and contain the crowing, which is really loud and very annoying. And But unfortunately, one of the other chickens was in there with her. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm I'm just done. So I shut them all up. The two of them are, were in there together and there were no eggs because we had looked just right after we li- had lit them all out uh, and they weren't able to get back in. And so they were all walking around. Me and my daughter were looking for eggs. We found no eggs. After, after we lit, like I, I wanted to make sure that she was only in there until she stopped crowing, which was about two and a half hours. We lit both of the chickens out, and lo and behold, there were not one but two eggs. I think I'm pretty right in saying that I do have a female chicken who is definitely um, one of those chickens that has either is either trying to revert to male or has at least developed some maleness things uh, going on. Hold on. Apologies for that interruption, even though y'all didn't really hear it. Anyway, anyway, so here's the thing. Why am I kind of, why am I certain that I do not have a real rooster and an actual, and, and I do have an actual chicken, you know, a female chicken. The two eggs is the clue. There were only two chickens in there. So only those two chickens could lay eggs. One chicken, I've never heard anybody ever say that they've laid two eggs in one day. Normally speaking, one chicken at height of production, if all the food is good and everything's just peachy, will lay one egg a day. One chicken, one egg every day. And then their production declines down as the years go out. Not only that, the two eggs that were laid were different. One was smooth brown and the other one was speckled. So I'm putting it to bed. I do not have a rooster although that doesn't take care of the crowing issue. So if any of you guys have any ideas that will work without having to put a, what's called a no crow collar on her or outright graduating her fluffy ass to freezer camp, uh, please let me know because it's a beautiful bird. And I, I just don't want to put a, I don't want to have to put a thing around her neck and I, I don't want to kill her. Um, the other thing, what, and I'm going to say this, although it'll probably change. after. She laid that egg at about, I think it was about, I think I let her out about five o'clock. She didn't crow again. And 
she didn't crow at all. She hasn't crowed at all this morning at all. So I'm wondering, is it possible that she dropped the egg and go, oh, um, <clears throat> yeah, roosters don't do that. I'm not a rooster, so I guess I don't have to crow. I don't know. If somebody knows anything about that little chicken psychology, also let me know. Otherwise, uh, well, shit, I'll just see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.